Andy Mason, who he, uh, he writes for the Herald Mail, he texted me and said he wanted to write a story about my run. So I joked with him. I said, look, I know it's COVID, but how slow is sports right now, actually, that you want to write about me running 70 miles on the towpath? Uh, and then Mike Spindler from the uh, JFK race director, he saw that uh, article and he uh, reached out to me and said he wanted me to run the JFK 50 for his uh, CVAC team. So I think that was a big defining moment for me to get some belief uh, in myself a little bit more that Pink believed in me that enough to have him run on his team, you know, for the JFK 50 miler. Uh, and then, you know, I brought that idea up to, uh, to Katie about running JFK and, and I said, I still don't know. That's a big jump from 50K to 50 miles. And she didn't even blink. She goes, nope, you have to do it. Like, you're not going to get this opportunity again. The race director wants you on his team to run. You don't have a choice. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 94 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. In 2010, Adam Lowe was not happy about how he looked or felt. Adam was an extremely active kid in high school, playing soccer, lacrosse, and basketball, and wanted to get back in shape and turn to running. His sister had run the Marine Corps Marathon, inspiring him to sign up and give it a try. Adam ran his first 10K in 4807 so he could register for his first Marine Corps Marathon and ran a 358 in his debut. Immediately after, he swore, while lying on the ground praying to die, that he would never run again. Fast forward to 2021, running the JFK 50, Adam came off the AT in 64th place overall and proceeded to rock a 313 marathon split on the CNO Canal and continued closing hard over the last eight and a half miles on the road to finish 21st overall and leading his CVAC team to their second successive first place team finish. What a journey. Adam went from feeling self-conscious about his weight, appearance, what to wear, and having no clue how to train or fuel his runs. Now he's deeply involved in the running community as a race director of the Fire on the Mountain 50K and started a running club for third to fifth graders at his elementary school, encouraging them to join and get active. Adam has big gratitude for Andy Mason writing an article about him in the Herald Mail about a 70-mile run he did during covid that led Mike Spindler, the JFK 50 race director and two-times race winner, to ask him to run for his CVAC team. Mike believing in Adam was a big turning point. The unwavering support and partnership with his fiancée Katie, crewing Adam for races, working together race directing, and raising their kids as a team has made all the difference. I hope you all are moved by Adam's inspiring journey. Enjoy the listen. Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How you doing this morning? I'm doing well, Ron. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, man, it's good to have you on. I see you got the metal wall rocking behind me on Zoom. Too bad everybody can't see that a giant, massive wall rack right next to the treadmill. I'm sure you're cranking out the miles on there, and you can see all the medals off to your left while you're doing your work, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I use the treadmill uh, in the winter a little bit when it gets icy outside. Other than that, I love to 
be outside and run there, but it definitely helps to have a treadmill. So yeah, you got to have it as the backup plan, right? Emergency plan. And uh, for any of us right now who are suffering in this insanity of heat that we call summer, you know, my Florida friends are always trying to act like they're the only ones who have heat. And every day I like send them screenshots of like 75% dew point runs and like real field temps of 99, you know, running in Central Park, man, we are all just broiling in this heat, right? It's got to be the same for you down there, right? Yeah, absolutely. This morning I went running, I think it was 77 degrees, but 100% humidity. And I was just dripping sweat after a half mile. So it's, it, yeah, it, the treadmill can be nice. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I tell you, it beats the hell out of you. It just wears you down. And, you know, not to mention your clothes weigh about 10 pounds after you finish your <laughs> run, man. And you feel like you came out of the washing machine, but you didn't go through the spin cycle. Um, that's how I always feel like, you know, you throw the spin cycle on and everything comes out and it's almost dry already. Anyway, you just chuck it in the dryer, but this, this weather, you just really don't, man. You just, uh, you suffer through it. But as I tell everybody who's in a cycle, whether it's training for a marathon or getting ready for an ultra like JFK, you know, in November, good times are ahead for us, man. Suck it up, suffer, you know, grind your way through. And Hey, maybe you lose a few pounds in the process too, <laughs> man, while you're melted, melted off all those pounds. Right. Yeah, everybody jokes with me that it looks like I jumped into a swimming pool when I get back from running just because I'm soaked. Yeah, you really don't want to sit in anybody's nice furniture after <laughs> any of these runs, man. My buddy, um, my good buddy Jeremy Bush was up visiting us from North Carolina and my other good buddy Greg Mackin from Westchester uh, came down and we were, after we did uh, Summer Streets in New York City, they actually closed Park Avenue and you can run with no traffic like all the way up to East Harlem. So it's about a nine mile loop up and nine miles straight back on Park Avenue and um, we finished the run. We were all like dripping down the street. And my buddy, I could see his face getting worried because we had to get into his Jeep to drive back to <laughs> New Jersey to my place. And I was like, dude, what's wrong? And he's just like looking at us. We were cracking up. Man. I was like, he's worried we're going to ruin his Jeep Cherokee, man. I'm like, but that's it. You know, nobody wants right. you sitting on their stuff or touching their stuff when you're all when you're all grimy, man, but all good. So why don't you just give a little intro to the Run Chats audience, Adam, on like where you grew up, what family life was like as a kid. All right, sure. Um, so I had a, uh, a pretty normal childhood growing up. Uh, I grew up in Calvert County, Maryland. Uh, it's kind of where we settled. My dad uh, and mom were both in the Navy. Uh, so my dad, we moved around a little bit, and then we settled in Calvert County. I have two sisters, an older sister, younger sister, so I'm the middle child. Uh, growing up, we were pretty competitive with each other. Uh, by that, I mean, I think I was more competitive with them, and they probably had no clue. Uh, that, that I was, uh, trying to compete with them. So, uh, that was always good. My, uh, younger sister actually have a pretty good story about how competitive we were. So we were in a, uh, a cardboard box sitting in it. Like imagine the box that a dishwasher comes in and the goal was to push down your side onto the floor. So when I did that, I won bad thing was I landed on my arm and then she landed on top of me and I actually broke my arm. Uh, it's probably when I was about eight or nine years old. So, uh, I was the big winner there, I guess. <laughs> uh, I actually worked at, um, uh, Roy Rogers fast food restaurant with both my sisters. So we were kind of close. Uh, I stayed, uh, working there with my older sister for five to six years, all through high school. And then college, we would come back home and, uh, we'd work together during breaks and stuff. But I had that normal eighties, nineties growing up childhood where we were outside uh, you know, as long, as much as we could came inside to eat dinner for three, four minutes and then right back outside so we could go play and, and run around and everything. So pretty normal childhood. 
uh, enjoyed it. I was pretty competitive with them, competitive with the neighbors and, and just running around acting fools, you know, and enjoying childhood. Love it. Team middle child. So we get, we get yeah. the cheers for that. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, like if one of your brothers or sisters isn't getting injured, man, you're not doing it right. Cause that's just the way it is. You're always doing completely insane things. So I've never heard oh, of the yeah. box game before, but yeah, <laughs> me, and, me and my brothers created some things that were not normal and not to be done inside of a house. And my mom would just come back and give us the look like, what do you, what have you done now? What have you all done? And our house is destroyed. And you know, but you know, God bless, man. A broken arm heals quickly. You know, and right. I, you know, getting to my age now, I've been not heal quite as quickly. But when you were eight <laughs> years old, I guarantee you, man, you were laughing. You had a cast on. Your friends were signing. You're like, hey, this is kind of cool. I got a cast. Like, no big deal. Um, but you know, as we get older, we don't want to. We don't want to run into those situations. But no. and yeah, playing outside. That's that's just the way it was, man. And uh, simpler times uh, in my mind were better times. Um, less distractions. And, you know, we only, that's exactly the same way we rolled. We came home to eat. That's it. And most of the time we didn't even have to come home to eat. It was only just for dinner, like you said. And then it was exactly that. Go back out at night and do something else. Run around some more and be crazy. And no wonder why we slept so well as kids, man. We were, we were basically on our feet for like 12 to 14 hours a day. And it was like one game after another, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we, that's so I think, well, when we came home from school, I throw my book back down on the ground and get right back outside and outside until it's bedtime nice and um dad was in the navy right yeah both my parents were um and that's like they actually met and uh, got married in japan so uh and then when they moved back my mom uh got out of the navy and then my dad stayed in for a while uh and then so we moved around a little bit when i was younger uh and then we settled and then uh he worked on a naval base fixing helicopters cool yep cool yeah because a lot of the um military kids that I've talked to and met in my life, they're traveling from one base to another and moving around and relocating. And, you know, it's a cool life because it's adventurous in many regards, but also at the same time for the kids, it's, it's definitely can be tough at times because, you know, you're just getting used to, you know, meeting some new friends and getting into a school system or playing on certain teams. Then all of a sudden you're somewhere else in another country or in another state. So you guys were fairly settled, right? You guys weren't really moving around much, right? No, we moved when I was real young, like when I started school to Virginia Beach and then and then we moved up to Michigan for a little bit in the summer and then we came back and we moved a couple of different places, but they were all relatively close to another. So uh, I think we settled when I was maybe eight or nine. So it wasn't not too much moving around. Yeah, it's a good age. So if you're competitive with them and all that stuff, what was Monopoly and Game Lights like at the house, man? Were you guys like... You know, was, oh, it, was it super competitive? Somebody flipping the board over or stealing the money out of the bank or what was happening? Yeah, I was say if, if somebody wasn't cheating, we weren't doing it right. So, <laughs> yeah, I was I was a win at all costs kind of guy. <laughs> Love it, man. Love it. Yeah. I mean, this is how we learn, right? You know, right. you mix it up and, you know, if one of your brothers is cheating you or your sister, you know, you're like next time in, I'll be the banker. I got this. I mean, that's that's how we learn. And how about sports as a kid? You know, what were you what were you into when you were younger um, you know, before we get into the whole running and how you found running uh, Convo. Okay, so for uh, sports, I played, uh, I was a big soccer guy growing up. So I played fall, spring soccer. Uh, my dad actually coached a few of my first teams. Uh, and then as I got older, I, I just got on different teams and stuff. But I played uh, soccer growing up from, I was one of those kids that started when they were five, six years old and just kept playing all through high school. Anytime I could, I was playing soccer. Uh, and then in high school, I, I did play soccer. And then my senior year, we got a, 
we got lacrosse. So I played lacrosse as a senior in high school as well. Uh, other than that, if I wasn't doing one of those two things, I was on the basketball court with my friends uh, outside during the summer. Summer nights, we would go to uh, Coe Point Park near where we lived, and we would just play basketball for hours and hours, uh, just hooping it up and, and playing and, and running around and trying not to get into fights and <laughs> play basketball. So Nice. So soccer and late lacrosse, a little lax action, but both great sports to develop. You're running all the time. You're always on the move. Um, you're not you're not ever in a stationary place unless you're playing goalie, and it certainly sounds like you weren't. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's great uh, aerobic development. Um, so many runners came from that background, and um, starting off at a really young age, you know, you forge a lot of great relationships, and you learn all about team sports, man. You know, both of those sports, you know, doesn't matter what kind of skills you have. Your team will never be any good if you're not uh, meshing with the other people around you, whether you're on the offensive side or defensive side. What uh, what position did you play? I played defense mostly. Uh, when I did when I played in high school, I played defense. When we played rec league, I played kind of all over the place, defense mostly. But I'd get thrown up there as forward every once in a while. Or uh, I played goalie a little bit one year because I broke my ankle right before the season started. Uh, probably about four or five weeks before, I broke it playing basketball. I landed on someone's foot just broke my ankle. So I got, I got my cast off actually on a Wednesday and I asked the doctor when I could go back to soccer practice. And he said, well, I guess whenever you feel like you can run. So we got in the car and I told my mom to take me to soccer practice. So I played goalie a lot that season, but it was literally an hour later I was at soccer practice running around, gimping around playing goalie. Love it. Definition of stay in the fight. Cast comes <laughs> off right back, right back on the field. We got to love it, man. When you're young and dumb, right? You can do all that stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, you can get away with more of those kind of mistakes when you're younger. And when you get older, things kind of tend to get compounded and we make it worse on ourselves. Um, so we got to think about more about recovery and, and maintenance and just other things that we have to do. Try to get more rest, make sure we're getting enough fluids, man. Anybody listening to this show today, please, man, make sure you are hydrating. And I'm not just talking about during your long runs or your mid long runs, your trail runs, training runs, whatever it is, make sure you're hydrating all day long too, because you're in a, you're in a deficit state at this time of the year and electrolytes get out of balance real quick. And it just, it just goes into a cycle. It's very tough to recover from. So, you know, try to stay on top of that, man, for sure. Um, now on the high school side, you know, so you're lacrosse at your senior year, but you're doing a lot with hawk, um, soccer, did you have a coach or a mentor, you know, somebody you looked up to, somebody who, uh, you know, you really connected with and had an influence on? Yeah, my high school soccer coach, uh, Coach Gray, he was, uh, he was great for us. He came in, I think, a year after we started. So, we, you know, I, I played JV ninth grade and then uh, he, was, uh, he was my coach after that in 10th, 11th, 12th. So I was on varsity then. Uh, I didn't play a lot, but as a 10th and 11th grader. But he was just—he was just tough on us. But he was very fair at the same time, you know. Um, I went out there and he taught me if if I didn't try, I didn't give my best effort, then I wasn't going to move up to that next level, be able to play, you know. So uh, I just really, looking back on it, I really appreciated the lessons he taught me about giving that effort every single day. Um, we're we're friends on Facebook. We communicate a little bit and, uh, still, and and I'll he'll see you know a race that I ran and he'll he'll tag me back and say, you know, Hey, that's crazy or something. Cause, uh, you know, uh, he, him and him and the uh, cross country coach were actually both science teachers rooms right next to each other. So they, they got together and they had the, uh, soccer team 
run a cross country race uh, as a, as I guess a soccer practice. We had to go run a meet, um, and I, I I ran and I think I was like twenty first, twenty second place overall, and I, and I finished and I said this is stupid. I just lost the twenty kids. I'm never running again. So I ran one cross country race in high school. Uh, I just didn't get it at the time, you know. Uh, but I, I, I just I just didn't understand why anybody would run and and feel that way at the end of it. And you lost the 20 people. I just didn't get it, you know. So, uh, he, yeah, but he was he was a very good mentor for me. Uh, I, I worked hard to work my way up. And then uh, as a senior, he named me captain uh, with a couple of my buddies. And, and we kind of took over the team and, and helped out. And, but he just taught me those habits of, of giving your best and working hard and, and having a goal and achieving it. That's great. So it's all about work ethic, discipline, you know, all things you can put into practice. Obviously, this show is all about running, but it's far, far deeper than running. Um, all of our athletes, all the runners who come on or triathletes, ultra, ultra runners, whatever you specialize in, it's really all the habits they employ daily to be better at life, you know, a better husband, better wife, better business partner, better um to your people and your family, your tribe, your community, whatever it might be. So, um, yeah, it's great. Uh, sports teach us so much. Team sports particularly teach us so much. And I think um, the runners that are really successful, you know, may not have ever run at all or had the exact experience of you. <laughs> hey, I came in 20th. This isn't any good. I sucked. You know, you don't know any better. You think you're supposed to win, you know, you're racing and you're way behind, you know, but you're really not that far behind because you're not a runner. You're not running against those kids. They're running cross country. They're practicing every day. Um, and a kind of a cool experiment, you know, that you guys all ran it you know, <laughs> as the soccer team versus the other running team. So, so that was probably, I would think your first true exposure to what anybody would think of as running. I always ask people like, you know, where, you know, how did you get involved? You know, where was your entry point? I guess that would kind of be it, right? Yeah, that would be, I, that would be my first, uh, race experience. That would have been in the year 2000. And I think I didn't run again until, 2010 so there's a 10-year break there <laughs> between between the running parts so a little bit of a i guess you'd call that active rest right <laughs> yeah i love it so you get your first exposure to it you don't think you like it you're like i'll never do this again and but at the same time you know you know it was a good toe in the water like to have some sort of an idea what that felt like um, you know, soccer, you're trying to score a goal, or in your case, you're playing defense and trying to make sure no one's scoring and you're back into the field and you're clearing it and, you know, holding up your end, you know, in the back end of the field. Um, and then, you know, you have that experience, but then you go off to college, you know, you're not running there, right? But this is where the real entry comes in, right? Your sister was involved or getting involved with running a race or something. And there goes the competitive uh, family gene again. If she's doing something, maybe I, maybe I might be able to do something. So that's kind of a good story, right? That's kind of where you really get pulled in, right? Yes. Yeah, so my, uh, my sister was into, uh, she, did a, she did the Marine Corps Marathon in 2008, I think it was. Uh, and then she got into triathlons a little bit. Uh, and actually after high school, after college, uh, I got a job and then, uh, I got lazy, I guess you could say is the right word. So I put on a few pounds. So I was up to about 215 pounds. And one day in January of 2010, I just looked down and said, this is not where I want to be anymore. So, uh, actually went to the computer, uh, in January and tried to sign up for the Marine Corps marathon. Ron, I had no idea what anything about running was i didn't know there was a registration window 
I didn't know how much the race was going to cost. I didn't know anything. So I go to the computer, I Google Marine Corps Marathon, and I go to sign up, and you're not allowed to sign up yet, right? And I'm thinking, well, what do I do? So I looked on their site, and they had a 10K you could run in March called uh, the Run to Register. So if you ran the 10K, you finished, you got a, a code, and then you could use that code to sign up. So I said, okay, well, I guess I'm doing this 10K. So two months later, I went and ran uh, the 10K. Uh, I broke 50 minutes, so it wasn't horrible. Uh, 48.07, I think, was my time for that. Uh, but after after that race, I stuck around and, and just looked at, I just watched the award ceremony. Uh, all these guys coming up, all these women coming up, getting their awards for age groups and stuff, and they all look so happy. And I was like, that's what I want to be a part of. That's what I want to work up to, you know, um, just just to be able to to come out there and, and, and run and give my best effort. And after the race, I just felt excited. Uh, it was completely different than the race I ran in high school. I don't know. I, I was like, this is dumb. I'm never running again. Now I'm like, hey, this is it. I, I, I enjoyed that. I gave my best effort. Um, and, and then look, I sat around afterwards and, and watched that, you know, that event, uh, before, let me backtrack a little bit before that morning of the event, I didn't eat breakfast or anything. I didn't know what I was doing. So I go to the race, my first 10 K my first race in since that high school five K and I go there and there's Cheez-Its and pretzels on the table. So that's what I ate before the race. And cause I had no clue. I had the same pre-race meal for nine years now. Now, now I've evolved a little bit, but I ate, I ate Cheez-Its and pretzels before all my races from the first nine years of running because I figured they were on the table at the Marine Corps 10K. That's what people eat before a race. That's how little of an idea I had about what was going on. So that was, but that was my intro. And then uh, leading up to the Marine Corps Marathon, I, I did run a couple 5Ks. I ran uh, ha- uh, one half marathon before that. And then that October, I ran the uh, the Marine Corps Marathon as my first marathon, uh, and it was it was kind of the same. My goal was to finish under four hours uh, because that's what I was told was a good marathon time. So <laughs> that was the goal. Uh, just being competitive, I figured I'd work up to that. I finished in uh, three hours and fifty eight minutes, and I think I laid on the ground wanting to die for about that exact amount of time before I decided to get up again. But so it was it was a, a really good experience. I, and, you know, after the pain wore off a little bit, I decided, hey, I could I can do this. Running was fun. You know, it was rewarding. What a great intro story. Technically not your intro, but as close as you can get. <laughs> I mean, because you really did have that uh, 5K experience, you know, with your soccer mates, which is really great. But it's incredible how one race and then 10 years or however many years exactly passes how your perspective already had changed because, you know, maybe it's, you're still in high school and you're on a team and, you know, in soccer, you're trying to win. You're not trying to come in second or third, you know, you're trying to turn, trying to tie, you're trying to win. And anything you do is in, in high school at that age, you know, if you're playing basketball, you're trying to win, you're trying to score the most points, you're trying to do anything. You don't ever want to think of yourself as being 20th best at something. And even if that could be really good, there might be a hundred people in the race. You beat 80 people, but still to you, you're like, wow, I came in 20th. I suck. I don't want to do this again. Um, so you really don't know and what's going on. You have no perception of anything. That's the only perception you have. 
And, you know, then you're trying to sign up for a race and you can't. I love it. You're like, there's no code. Where's the cheat code? I mean, I'm playing a video game. What code do I punch in? How do I do this? Oh, okay. I have to run a 10K. All right. I'll sign up and do the 10K. All right. I'll show up and I'll eat Cheez-Its and pretzels. All right. And then I'll eat those every time for nine years. I mean, good Lord. I mean, of all the things in the world to be eating before a race, I thought you were going to tell me you were hurling all over the course, man. But honestly, Cheez-Its and pretzels are pretty awesome. Um, you know, it's really, there are worse things, man. You know, I don't know, you know, for a marathon, it probably wouldn't have ended so well. Um, for a 10 K, you sucked it up for 48 minutes. You made it through, but somewhere out there in that 48 minute run, you realize the quintessential thing, man. It's just different. First off, it's, it's double the distance of your 5k. You're not with your high school friends, which is a different arena and competitive kind of feeling. You're out there running with all kinds of people. There's kids that are younger than you. And you got people that are my age and way older that are out there running because pretty much anybody can run a 10k or a 5k. And you get the energy, you got the bibs, you got all of it. And you finished and you're lying on the ground, basically thinking you're dead. Uh, that's total classic, man. And, uh, you know, so that gives you the cheat code, you know, the registration code. So you can sign up for MCM and you get in the race. And again, someone told you breaking four hours is great. That's the beauty of our sport. It doesn't <laughs> matter. You held, you held on to that. I got to break four hours and you did. So, um, it just kind of, it's the carrot and the stick, right? You know, you do it. Somebody tells you, you know, whether you can do it or not, your sister was doing them. You know, you look up to her, you're competitive with her and it kind of brings you in and then you get that feeling. So after lying on the ground for at least an equal length of time and praying <laughs> to die and saying, you're never going to run again, how long did it take you to sign up for another race? Probably a couple of days. That was it. <laughs> you know, it was, it was almost instant. I, I got home and I said, you know, and then, and then you recover a little bit and I said, well, this wasn't horrible. I, you know, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I actually ran the, uh, my, my next race wasn't for about five months, but it was another Marine Corps race in, uh, about the same time. So it, it was a 10 K just in March of that next year. But it was, you know, I, I, I found out that the more I ran, the better I got at it. And that was now me being competitive with myself and just trying to be the best that I could be. And just try to improve on the times that I had from before, um, and just just seeing seeing that time go down, seeing my weight go down, just being healthier. That was the the key for me. Yeah, so you feel better, um, and people always get hung up with um, how they look, looking in the mirror, all that stuff. We all do it, and people think it's women, only women. Men, guys are every bit as susceptible to it. What do you, I go on, I weigh myself on a scale every morning. Why? We're creatures of habit. You know, like it's the stupidest thing in the world to weigh yourself every day, especially with crazy heat waves and winter and all the different cycles of the stuff we're trading through. But it's a ritual like anything else. You go take a shower, you go to the bathroom, you have coffee, you weigh yourself. But we do, we look at ourselves. It's not as important of how we might look. It's really how we feel, right? So you're talking about how you feel. So feel is like fit. Do your clothes fit right? Do you feel like you look good when you have a shirt on or a pair of jeans or something? To me, I always go more, way more by that than like what when you're thinking of like, look, I want to be thinner or something. That's when people get into trouble when they're so like so outwardly worried about their appearance and wanting to look, you know, into conform to a certain image. But you're finding out like the simple act of running is making you feel better. It's making you feel better about yourself and the golden rule of all. 
It doesn't take a genius to become better at running. As long as you don't do anything horrible, like try to run, you know, 20 miles a day when you're a brand new beginner and don't break yourself. If you're just basically running and not doing too much too soon, you are going to get better. You are going to get healthier. You're just going to get easier to breathe. You're going to feel stronger. You're going to be able to get up and down hills easier. And all of a sudden it's like, hey man, this is, this is good. This is good. And like all good habits we talk about, whether it's going to the gym or going to swim laps or anything else that we do that's fitness related, we don't need to do it more than a few times for it to automatically become Adam needs to run. Mm -hmm. <laughs> He's got to get his run in and, you know, I'll be a better person. Um, so at this point, you know, you're just really figuring it out on your own. You don't have any real plan, right? It's not like you have any like major goals of any kind and you're just doing your own thing. Are you running with any other people? Are you basically just like running with a, a group in, in your community where you live, any kind of running club or a running team? Or are you just like doing your own thing? At this point, I was just out doing my own thing, just running uh, a couple times a week, a few times a week. And I think I got a plan off of... Uh, google or something for the first marathon you know and just tried to follow that i i am pretty particular though i can find a find a plan and and just know that I, if okay if that's the plan says six miles and i gotta go out and run six miles if it says four eight hundreds i better go do four eight hundreds so i was really good about sticking to that plan uh but i yeah i just i i think i googled one and and just stuck with it and that got me to that under four hour mark and uh I didn't really look past that marathon as much as that. That was the end goal for me, you know, and then I got to that. And then of course it just led one thing into another. And now it's 12 years later, but <laughs> there was, yeah, there wasn't any specific goal in mind other than that one marathon at the very beginning. Yeah. And there doesn't need to be, that's the beauty of it. Um, it doesn't have to be seven more things behind that. And, you know, I'm going to run the seven continents or, you know, what? just start small. Um, you know, and just if it's, I'm going to run three days a week, or I'm going to run five days a week, or I'm going to run one day a week, whatever it is, it, whatever that goal is, write it down, put it on your refrigerator, put it on your bathroom <laughs> mirror, put it somewhere as Goggins would say, and just own it, man. Just say, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and if you're consistent and you keep showing up, as Des says, results will follow. Um, and you know, like running alone is wonderful. It builds our mental toughness. It builds our grit and our, and our mental strength. But running with other people is a whole lot more fun and it gets easier. So um, at this point, you know, you're kind of a Han Solo style. You're just kind of doing your own thing. At what point do you kind of find, let's say, running community, running with others and just, you know, realizing the kind of the joy that's in the sport? Well, I wish I would have. I wish I could go back in time a little bit and talk to myself. You know, when I first started, I, I think I wore all the wrong clothes when I went running. I wore the wrong shoes. I, you know, I, I, I was, I was self-conscious when I started because of my weight, you know? So that's why I think I ran a lot by myself when I first started. I figured I was, I was the slow guy, you know, I was the overweight guy. I just wanted to run. So it, it took me a little bit of time. It was probably, um, probably two, two and a half years before I, before I started running with someone else. Uh, I had a coworker who, uh, actually came out and, and paced me the last 10 K of, uh, my second Marine Corps marathon in 2011. So that was a big deal. You know, I said, Oh wait, someone's willing to come help me. You know, I didn't understand all that. I wish I would have. Um, so now, uh, it, it's funny, my fiance, Katie, 
when I when I talk to other people now running, we have a few people in our neighborhood who run all the time around here. I'll stop and and, and talk to them and just say, hey, if you ever want to go running, just text me. I'll go with you because now I'm so she jokes that I'm going to overextend myself. Um, but I, I wish that someone would have pulled me in when I was just starting and and said, hey, you know, you can come run with us or you can, uh, you know, this is what you what you can do. But it probably took me about two, two and a half years before I got comfortable running with a group of people. Yeah, it's great. I appreciate your candor on that because I think that's what holds people back so much more than others from all the conversations that I'm lucky enough to host is that people are self-conscious. Um, maybe by nature, maybe they're extroverted. Um, or like me, you know, it's easy for me to just go mold into a group, but somebody who's introverted, who is maybe shy by nature and maybe self-conscious of their appearance or what they're wearing or do they know what they're doing? Maybe they feel like they're a little intimidated. They're not going to show up at a group run somewhere. Um, and things are just so much more uh, present. I mean, it's everywhere. You can go to any city, any place and know there's probably going to be some organized group run on a Saturday or Sunday if you just kind of know where to look. I mean, hell, you could just go on Facebook and say, hey, I'm in, you know, I'm in Frostburg, Maryland for the weekend. Who's around? I want to go for a run. Anybody want to run five miles tomorrow or 10 miles? And you, you, I'd be shocked if somebody didn't write you back. Oh, a friend of my friend, my college roommate, or someone's here. This group starts at this time. And and type of thing. So you had to, you had to kind of get comfortable with yourself first. And I think that's what a lot of us go through in our journey. If we are a little bit uncomfortable about ourselves, if we don't feel we have enough experience, or if we're not as comfortable socially being in a bigger group. And I always tell people that are listening to the show, man, you just put that, it's okay to feel that way. It's okay to be uncomfortable. You don't have to carry on all kinds of conversations, man. You can just show up at a group run and just say, hi, you know, I'm here. How's it going? You know, I'm Adam. You know, I'm I'm excited to be here. And that's it. You don't have to say anything else to anybody. Or, you know, you can shake a few people's hands. Or I know in COVID things are a little different these days where maybe people aren't quite as, you know, into that stuff these days. Maybe it's a fist pump instead of a handshake um, versus a hug where it might have been. But I, I think if you just go out there and you take the chance and you, you know, put those nerves aside or that discomfort aside a little you'll find that there will be at least two or three, maybe even five people that are just as uncomfortable as you, as you were, Adam, at that point, or even more. And then you somehow find each other because it's like, oh, I, I see you know, that you see what he's wearing. She sees what you're wearing or somebody is a little overweight or somebody is sticking off to the side. So you kind of realize like, okay, these could be my people within the larger group. Maybe I can hang with them or they're slower than the rest of the group. I'm not the only one that can't keep up with the front of this group. I can keep up with them. In fact, I was actually more towards the middle or the middle to the back. So all those things kind of start to melt away. And as you go and you are active and you keep showing up again, as Des says, like little by little, those things kind of melt away. And the beauty of it is you're sharing that part of your own journey you wish you had, you know, to your younger self. Somebody else hopefully will hear this and say, all right, you know what? That's enough. I'm just going to go. I'm going to go to this group run and I'm going to show up. And who knows? Maybe they live down by you. Maybe they'll come down and you'll host one. But I mean, that's the point. We're just trying to make this community more inclusive and get more people out there, no matter what they look like, no matter how they dress everybody's a runner. I don't care if you run half the steps. I don't care if you run, you know, a quarter of a mile out of every mile of 26 miles and you walk the rest of them, you're still a runner to me. 
that's and we'll get into I think it a little bit about the trail community. That's what's so special about trail racing and the trail community is when you look around, there's there's people that are all different, you know, and everybody out there is a runner. It doesn't matter. Um, and, and, you know, in the, in the woods, it's a little bit different than being on the road. So it's, that part's great, but you're absolutely right. Like, I think, uh, it's very important for people to realize that, you know, they do belong in this running community. Uh, and there's, there's people that you can reach out to and there's people you can talk to, um, and just, just get support no matter with what's going on. Uh, I think for me, a lot of it getting more comfortable was just by doing more races. I really enjoyed being around everybody you know at the start line going up to the start running you know i, I could, you could run up to somebody and just have a conversation with them i i could do that and i never get their name or anything you know but we just had a conversation for 10 15 minutes while we were running about about anything to take our mind off of what was going on so uh yeah like i i wish i would have had some some more support early on but i'm really glad i found it when i did so i could keep going and, and now hopefully pass on other people yeah yeah, the trail running community is beautiful. And we'll we'll highlight a little bit of some of the differences from your viewpoint um as we as we get a little further in. Let's um let's go back to uh something I ask all guests, like meaningful moments that have shaped you. Um, did you have anything specific, you know, on your running journey here, you know, you think that had an impact that shaped you? Yeah, I think for me, uh it was actually during COVID. Uh, when when all the races shut down at the very very beginning of March 2020, so there was a uh, they they came up with a 12 hour virtual race, and what what you did was you you could run any five mile loop you wanted, but after each loop you had to come in, check on Zoom with the race directors, say that you finished, email your screenshot of your Strava to them, and then you could go back out and do your next five mile loop. So, so during this time, I, I, I ran, uh, I ended up doing 70 miles that day uh, on the towpath where close to where the JFK 50 runs on the towpath there. And uh, uh, my, my fiance, she was my girlfriend at the time, she came out and ran a loop with me and she brought pizza and stuff. And, and so we hung out for about an hour during the race. But uh, and then I was still able to get to 70 miles. But during that, during that uh, race, it was the first time I had gone over. Uh, a 50k so I'd, I'd run the five miles come back check in and then get ready and go right back out again so i was able to do that and then uh andy mason who who you probably know he uh he writes for the herald mail so he uh he texted me and said he wanted to write a story about my run so i joked with him i said look i know it's covid but how slow is sports right now actually that you want to you know write about me running 70 miles on the towpath so that was it was really nice of him to do that. He he wrote a really good article on me. Uh and then uh Mike Spindler from uh the uh JFK race director, uh he saw that uh article and he he uh reached out to me and said he wanted me to run uh the JFK fifty for his uh CVAC team. So I think that was a that was a big defining moment for me to get some to get some belief uh in myself a little bit more that that pink believed in me that enough to have him run on his team uh you know for the jfk 50 miler and it was kind of like i did this 12 hour race and if i did well i had already had it in my mind that i was gonna sign up for jfk i was gonna you know move on to uh more ultra stuff because uh, i just still hadn't had that that moment where i could fully believe in myself about going further distances 
Uh, and then, you know, I brought that idea up to, uh, to Katie about running JFK. And, and I said, I still don't know. That's a big jump from 50 K to 50 miles. Uh, you know, and she didn't even blink. She goes, Nope, you have to do it. Like you're not going to get this opportunity again. The race director wants you on his team to run, you know, you don't have a choice. So I, I think that, that race, everything that transpired from that would definitely be my, one of my moments that kind of shaped where i am now in my running great story um andy's a terrific writer man writes some great pieces on the history of the race the jfk 50 the fields that are going to be coming in and participating and uh yeah that's that's really cool because it, it just in a way it validated so much of you know so many of the questions that you had about your own self-running um, as did your fiance with believing in you that you could do more and you could go further um, and take on harder challenges. And it connects you with Mike, uh, his nickname being Pink, which is great. Uh, he's just a legend, legend of legends, man. One of my favorite people. Um, and uh, his his knowledge of our sport, the history of our sport in track and field and running is like encyclopedic. And, you know, there's literally almost no one more fun to talk to about running. And, you know, his energy and passion for the sport and the community is just so wide ranging and how much he's done on the coaching side, you know, with CVAC and, and also his junior college and all the other stuff that he's doing. So huge impact. And, you know, what an opportunity, you know, so that basically connects you directly because he asks you to run, you know, for his team, you know, which is a huge honor. I mean, a huge honor because they got some great runners and it is competitive locally, you know, like to be part of that squad is definitely like a badge of honor for sure. And I know it had to raise the stakes for you uh, in terms of like how serious you were taking the training. And yeah, you did run 70 and it's totally awesome, but it is different. You know, you're doing five mile loops, you're getting a little break. It's not easy. It's really hard, but it is different than getting on the line, you know, in town at JFK, you know, running up that giant hill, getting onto the AT, you know, running the single track and then you know, you know, being on the canal for seemingly forever until you get to that final eight and a half miles and, you know, get to the the rolling hills on the roads to finish it up. So huge part of your journey, definitely a big uh, turning point in the road, you know, to kind of get you on this path, you know, that you're on and then leads you to your first one. So what year is your your first JFK? My first year was the, the COVID year, uh, 2020. So that, that was my first one. And I, I've heard you speak on it before. And it was, you know, hours before the race, we still weren't sure it was going to go on. Um, and and I've, I've had the fortunate opportunity now to go to Boston twice with Pink. Um, so I've, I've heard the stories about how close it was to, to not going on or, or the effort that those guys put on to put on a safe and amazing race that year for us to be able to go out and do it. Um, I, I will tell you, I was freaking out for lack of a better term uh you know a week before that race and then all up through it i was just i was just devastated i was thinking all the work that i've done is gone i thought we were done canceling races i was i was going to go run it no matter what you know what i mean so i was just i was all over the place that whole week before not mentioned a couple hours before the race you know we didn't know what was going on but luckily yep 2020 was the first year i got to run it uh, and then last year I ran it. So I've run two so far. Awesome. And I was there in 2020 and we do, I know exactly what you're speaking of. It took somebody with uh, 
I don't know. Can we say balls? Yeah, we can say it. I, it's my show. <laughs> yeah, I could say whatever right. I want. And, uh, you know, we don't have to worry about cussing or any of the other stuff. So we're all, we're all good that, um, Mike does have the balls. Um, you know, when you get an article in a major newspaper that's coming out questioning stuff, you need somebody like Mike that will be resolute and stand firm. And obviously it's not just Mike, it's the entire JFK community, his incredible team, you know, that he's built there that support that race. You know, it's not a one man show. It's an enormous team that he's put together that work tirelessly. Mm -hmm. People have no idea how much work is. And you are now doing some race directing yourself. Um, and obviously these are smaller scale races for you now. Maybe one day you'll get a chance to be running a race like that of that size and consequence, but it's enormous how much work is involved with permits and working with different authorities and groups and associations. And then you're putting these kinds of fires out at all moments. And yeah, I remember reading that article too, thinking, you know, maybe I should cancel my hotel reservation. I don't live as close as you do where you're kind of down there in the, in the neighborhood, if you will. And I was just like, man, I'm coming. You know, I got my ribs posters. You can see them right above me in the Zoom screen. And, you know, I was running with my ribs gear and raising money for ribs as family. And, you know, and I think that was one of the coolest things out there that year is on the trees. You know, you'd see the run for ribs sign and team ribs signs. And, um, and obviously it was incredibly different. It was my first JFK 50. So the amount of volunteers that are normally out there, yes, at the aid stations, nothing changed there. The only thing I would say that did change is, those kind of home cooked specialty things that are really a staple of ultra, you know, somebody making mashed potatoes or bacon on a skillet or the different kinds of soups that people make are just unique foods that people love to do. Like, this is what I love to do. Maybe they make cornbread, like whatever their thing is at any ultra, by the way, this is not just, uh, just for JFK. I mean, it's just what makes ultra ultra. And what makes it so cool is that um, those people that are volunteering and giving up their entire day, by the way, for all of us um, to be out there with smiles on, with big energy, with positivity, supporting us as we roll through or walk through or crawl through whatever the hell state we're in. Um, they were feeling it too, because I don't think they could be the, the their same version of themselves being as wild or fun or energetic. So your first one is my first one down there. And you know, you come in 21st, you roll in with a sub seven hour debut, which is seriously impressive. And it's really a, a really, really strong time um, for a debut JFK 50, 655, you roll in. But in your case, you probably don't know what the experience is like any more than I did. I'd never run JFK before. So to me, I thought it was like the most amazing thing ever, but it'd be the same thing as if somebody ran Boston the year, which we both did, um, where we ran it in the fall and it was basically self-start. We could go and start whenever we wanted. Sure. It was still the Boston course. It was still a great day running. It will still always feel amazing to cross the Boston finish line, but having run, 11 and being in the 100th Boston, I can assure you it wasn't anything like the Boston we ran this past year or other Bostons because there were nowhere near as many people on the course. There weren't as many people out there wildly enthusiastic. So I'm so excited that you got the chance to come back one year later and have like version A, version B um, because you end up coming in 21st again but you've run 17 minutes faster, which is crazy. I mean, that's like amazing. And it shows you the competitiveness of that field and the depth of, you know, elite competitors and sub elite competitors that are running that course. So 
Take us to 2021, man. I mean, obviously you had to have a good year of training and running and feeling fit coming in. What was the 2021 race like comparatively to 2020 for you? Right. So 2021, I, ca I came in again. I was, I, I was given the opportunity to run for CVAC and for pink. So, uh, I, you know, I took that out and, uh, earlier in that, in that year, I, I did my first hundred miler. Uh, so I, I used that and, and use that experience and then just kept kind of building on that. So going into the, the 50 miler JFK, I, uh, used, uh, what I had learned the year before during the race. If you remember, 2020 crew wasn't allowed at the weaverton cliffs so that was a change uh due to covid so i told katie we'll keep it the same because i was used to it so i just told her how about you just go to antietam mile 27 and i'll meet you there we'll keep everything the same i know exactly where you'll be i don't have to worry about you being at weaverton driving making it to antietam so we kept all that the same so the uh the night before the race i went and got a uh uh, some of those bags you get at races, like the drawstring book bags, and I got a permanent marker, and I wrote on there Antietam mile twenty-seven point three. I wrote mile thirty because she drove around uh, to the next little aid station there, and then she was again at thirty-eight. So I had three bags, and then I had a bag for the finish line. When she saw that I wrote on these bags in permanent marker, she flipped out a little bit, <laughs> and she goes, "They're now now what do we do? We they just say, you know." And I was like, "Well, I guess I got to run this race for the rest of my life. They're in permanent marker, so that that just made it easy. She could just pull the bag out, and I had everything I needed in there: uh, my pickle juice, gum, gels, whatever else I needed was in that bag for that aid station. So she does a phenomenal job of taking care of me uh, as a, a single person crew there. So. Uh, that was that was the night before. So the morning of, we get in the car. We're in Martinsburg, West Virginia. So it's about a 35-minute drive to Boonesboro High School where we park. We get out of the car. Uh, I was meeting a good buddy of mine there who was doing his first JFK 50 uh, that year. So we met him. We got to the starting line. I got a quick uh, pep talk from Pink, uh, and uh, the other CVAC guys were right around us. So that was that was pretty cool that he took some time to come over and, and give us some last minute words of encouragement. Um, there's a, there's a really cool picture of me. I shared after uh, Western States this year, I'm standing right next to Adam Peterman uh, who went on to win the race. And then he went on to win Western States. And, you know, so some people asked me if like, that's what was next for me. And I was like, I don't know about all that, but I am standing next to him at, at this point. So, uh, but for me going into JFK, I break it down into three races. Uh, the first race is the AT, and then the second race is the is the towpath, and then we go to the the road after that. So, uh, I I've heard you speak on it before. That first climb, going up to the Appalachian Trail, is is not fun. Uh, the in 2020 when I ran it the first time, I I never went out there and 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 saw the course. So, for me to go out there and I'm on mile four and I'm walking up this mountain and i'm like okay don't get frustrated like but i'm at mile four of a race i don't walk at mile four right i'm sure you get that you know we're 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 marathon runners on the road you're not thinking all right i'm gonna walk at mile four if that happens in a marathon it's gonna be a long day so uh, i knew coming into this year that hill's coming you got to go easy so it probably helps me out a little bit because i can start a little slower under control uh, on the Appalachian Trail, I just run that to survive. 
you know, try not to break an ankle, try not to fall, try not to come off with blood everywhere. So uh, I did, I did pretty well this year. I was uh, two minutes faster on the Appalachian trail than what I was the year before. So that helped, but I felt a lot better when I got off. My quads weren't blown off, you know, and, and my legs were still pretty fresh. There's a, the, the good video. If you go look at the results, we got about 15 miles in. So we're about to go down the cliffs, which my pace going down there is pretty much a walk. I'm just trying to not fall and eat something, you know? So I, I look behind me and I tell my buddy Fogel, who's right behind me still, I'm like, Hey, if you want to take the lead, go ahead. You know, and he goes, no, I'm good. I'll let you go first. So coming down that mountain, there's a video. There's about eight people right behind me. We're in just a line and they all just let me lead down the mountain. No one wanted to go down and take the lead. So, uh, but that was, that was pretty fun. It's good, good stuff. You know, the, uh, the trail part, you can, you can kind of run and talk and, and just, you know, enjoy it, but don't, don't look up at your watch too much. Don't look anywhere and, and just, just get off that thing, survive and, uh, but it was nice to come off there two minutes faster and still feel fresh. That's a great recap. And that's the way to break the race down. You nailed it. I mean, it's a three-parter for sure. And also love that you talked about that first climb because, yeah, I consider myself to be a really good hill runner. I run in Central Park all the time. I pride myself on my strength on hills. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on with this stupid hill? Is this thing ever going to end? And it's like dark, the moon's out, which is all cool. You know, once you've done any of these things more than once, even it doesn't take more than once, you know, twice, you're like, okay, I know what's happening here. I know, I know what's coming, but man, the first time it just, you keep going and it keeps bending around and you know, there's cows out there and there's dogs and people are having coffee and yelling and waving to you and the sun hasn't even come up. And <laughs> I just, I remember all of it, you know, I just in that little town, you know, you're there at all the people are out on the sides cheering for you. It's just such a, a, an amazing uh, neighborhood community feel. And then you get to the AT and um, great advice, man. You, good Lord, man. You take, you take your eye <laughs> off the ball. It was a college D1, college baseball. You, man, you take your eye off the ball for one second out in there at AT, man. You will be losing some teeth or God knows what else because it only takes, you know, two seconds to look too much to the left, right, or like you said, maybe if somebody clips your foot from behind and you're, you're really not paying attention and then boom, you know some of those stones are like, like daggers and, you know, the tree roots that can pop up mysteriously. And you got all the leaf cover too, which can be over a tree root or a rock or something else. So you really got to be nimble on your feet. And Lord, doesn't it just make you like, I'm just in awe. When I see the elite men and women and I see the speed that they run that section or other ultra races, of course, just the paces that they're able to average for a hundred miles or, or had any use on 250 miles winning all these <laughs> races. It's just like, it's bananas. It's crazy. Um, but as you said, the key is to get the hell off the AT in one piece, you know, to have your legs underneath you, um, to not go off the cliff there, you know, coming down into Weaverton, man, because that's like a black triple black diamond ski thing, man. We're like, you know, the crazy angle turns, man, you could just be on a rock and, you know, be gone. They'll be taking you off there. And there were quite a few people taken out this year on stretchers. You were so far ahead of me. You probably, didn't see very many. Maybe one of them was up where you were, maybe two, but I think more of them were more in the mid-pack range kind of where I was. So you get there. So you didn't do a shoe change in Weaverton because obviously you couldn't do it the first year we ran. You didn't do one this year in 2021? 
No, I didn't do one uh, either year. So I ran in ultra superiors for okay. the first, I guess, 27 miles. Um, my, my buddy who, ran, who was right behind me, he had a shoe change there. So I kind of took off a little bit and then he ended up catching me um, on the towpath. And then I ended up just, uh, just, I just kept going, you know, and then we ran together for a little while again. But uh, once, once we got on the towpath, I had a, a, a friend of mine who, who was a runner before and then now he's had some hip problems, but he messaged me and he said, I think you can do a 308 marathon on the towpath. And me, I went back to that moment where someone told me a four hour marathon was good. And I said, okay, 308, that's the goal. You know, so I actually ended up doing a 313 split uh, on the on the towpath there. But once I got on there, we had a uh, a guy, you know, the railroad track. We crossed that and then somebody was counting and, and they said 66, 67. And I was thinking, there's no way I'm in 67th place. Like I know the field was fast this year, but it can't be that fast. So we me and, and buddy took off a little bit and we were running. And then a biker passed us and they said, you're in 64th and 63rd. So I, then I knew, okay, they're close. So I, I, I just went and ran. And, and like I said, my legs were feeling great. So mile after mile, I, I train on the towpath a lot. A lot of people get bored on it. Uh, I, I think it's great. It's flat. It's easy to run, way different than the AT. I don't have to think about where I'm putting my foot. Um, and you know, I just, I just played leapfrog. I just looked at somebody in front of me and, and tried to catch up to them and then tried to catch the next person and tried to catch the next person. And I was just counting down miles until I could get to mile 27, uh, have the shoe change, see Katie, uh, and then, and then get there. And then from there you have less than a marathon, right? So the first that's, you know, kind of break down the, uh, the canal into, into two sections, you know, to get to Antietam. To, to get to my first bag change for the first time and then break it up into there. Um, but I just love running on, on that and it's flat. And like I said, you can run up to people, have conversations with them. I think three miles into it, something happened that never happened before. My race bib actually tore off my pins. Uh, so I had to stop and repin on my bib. Uh, I would have thought that would have happened on the AT, not on the flat toe path, but, uh, but it's really cool. That first aid station on the uh, on the towpath is run by the steeplechasers, Frederick Steeplechasers, and I'm a part of their running group now. So that they, I get there and they're all screaming for me. Uh, you know, I, I have them fill up my bottle real quick, and then I'm off to go. Uh, and then we get to that first uh, shoe change for me, that bag change at mile 27.3. So I'm running with a guy now and. Uh, I just, I was just talking to him back and forth and, and I said, okay, this is me. I'm going to pull over here. Cause I saw Katie, you know, so, uh, real quick shoe change. Uh, I took a swig of pickle juice, some, uh, just some recovery drink. And then she took my handheld cause I was going to see her in about three miles. So I, then I was able to run with nothing in my hands for about three miles. And then I caught back up to him in about 40 seconds and he looked over and he goes, damn, that was fast. And I had new shoes on, everything. I, I had a hat still from the morning because it was cold, a long sleeve shirt. But I did a shirt change, a shoe change, probably in under 30 seconds. So she had everything I needed set out for me. It was great. I caught back up to that guy, ran with him for a little bit. Uh, and then I got to mile 30, saw her again, grabbed my handheld bottle from her, and then just kept on going. Um, 
here's so back though at that mile 27 she had a chair set up for me and uh so i sat down in the chair real quick to change my shoes and i looked at her and i said hey you know i love you but the insurance money is paid up for me i said because i'm ready to die today like that's how i was feeling like that's how good i was running i was i told her basically like i'm going for it so i just tried to uh just use that energy and just keep going so mile 38 is uh there's an aid station there uh, run by Smithsburg High School cross country team. And so they call it Miracle at mile 38. So they have a Santa Claus and I, I've coached cross country against him before. So when I saw him, I, I yelled out his name. And then so there's actually a really good picture of us running together. Uh, Santa Claus and me running together at mile 38 during the JFK 50 miler. So that was really cool, really special to see him out there and get those cheers from them. And then running that uh, to get off the towpath, I saw two of uh, my old cross-country kids, one of my runners, saw their parents, and they were yelling for me. Uh, and then after I get off the towpath, it's just up the hill. <laughs> and then uh, eight and a half miles of suffering and, and give whatever you got left. Uh, as, as we get on that road, I don't know how you did it, but I walked up that first hill both years. Uh, and then, uh, it's, I guess maybe a quarter mile, maybe a little bit longer than that. And then, and then I just took off and kept running. I caught a couple more people on the road. Uh, and then I got to about mile 48 before things started falling apart a little bit. Uh, I, I started to get pretty cold. So I was like, all right, this is going to, this is going to be good. You know, this is, this is the part though, running these long distances that I actually look forward to. I look forward to the part where it's going to start to start to hurt and start to make you suffer. So I got to that part and I was like, all right, two miles to go. And then you start playing the math game. I'm like, all right, I can still break 640. And I'm like, all right, if I walk it in, I can still PR. I can still break 655. You know, and, and if I crawl in, I'll break eight, still respectable, you know, whatever. but you're just playing those, those mental math games. And, um, so I, I get, uh, to back into the town of Williamsport now. So we have a mile to go and I could just feel my, my legs are cramping up and I've known that like, all right, this is the part you look forward to. You're giving everything you can give today. Just have one mile to go. Um, and you know, you crest over that, that last hill. And you can see the finish line and it's all right there. I'm running. I don't think anyone's near me at all. I don't see anybody in front of me. I haven't heard anybody behind me. So I get up to the, uh, the school there and there's a tennis court and there's a kid on the tennis court. And he goes, he said something like, you got to you gotta run faster. They're right behind you. And I thought he was just being like a typical middle school kid, like just yelling, you know, whatever. And so I just keep running. And I, I get to, uh, I pass to where Katie is about 15 feet before the finish line. And I throw my water bottle over to her and I just yelled. I was like, I am fucking freezing. Like I was just cold. I was just, I wanted to be done running, you know? So she's like, it's right there. Just go, you know? So I, I cross the finish line and I stop and, you know, 638, 19. And I turn around and there's three guys right behind me. I forgot anyone else was in the race at this point. You know, um, one of them was actually uh, uh, one of my teammates for CVAC. So that was pretty cool. We finished right, you know, back to back to each other. That was nice. But uh, so I finish. We, uh, we go over there. We go inside the school this year. We're allowed to go in the building. And uh, I look at the uh, she goes, hey, guess what place you got? 
And I was like, I, I don't know. I have no idea what place. Because as far as I knew, I was in 64th. I mean, I knew I caught a lot of people, but I wasn't keeping track, you know. And she said, you got 21st. So, so I got 21st in 2020 and then 21st in 2021, although I ran a little bit faster this year, a 17-minute PR. It shows you how strong the field was. Um, but, you know, to, to come in – so now the joke is this year I got to protect my 21st place. Uh, so I just signed up for JFK again so I can go protect 21st. That's, that's my place to earn again, right? Um, but la- last little bit, I remember going to the school and, and we're getting food and we're getting drinks and warming up and stuff. And I remember after about like 10 minutes, it just hit me. Like what I had just done, uh, you know, for myself to PR by 17 minutes to come in 21st with such a strong field. And I just lost it, man. I was just bawling. And she was like, are you okay? And I was like, I just, it's just that release of like what had just happened and everything. It was, I mean, it was, it was great. The greatest experience that I've had, um, just the greatest feeling that I had. And um, it was, it was nice to have her there to share it with. And it was just nice to, to feel that sense of accomplishment. That's a great recap, man. And you went all in. That's where the emotions come from. Um, You said it, you said you're ready to die. You know, you went all in. Um, Just great for any, I've got some friends this year, um, Brandy and Libby. Brandy's been on the show, um, terrific runner, but um, people that haven't run JFK before. So it'll be great for them to listen to this episode and hear. It literally takes them through like every station as you're going along the path. Um, And it's just, it's amazing. I mean, the difference in this year's race versus last year's race was enormous. I mean, you know, because of COVID, because of articles, because of people maybe canceling last minute, it was still an epic race in 2020. It just was a far stronger, far deeper, far more competitive field in the 2021 race for sure. And I, and I have no doubt 2022 will probably be the same. So yeah, your work is going to be cut out <laughs> for you for sure. And uh, thank goodness for that uh, junior high school kid or whatever, shout <laughs> it out, man. Because yeah, you're in the zone, dude. You're dialed in. You're just like, you're just bring me home, get me home. You're trying to do math. You can't do math at the end of a marathon. Try doing math <laughs> at the end of a 50 mile race. I can tell you people, it isn't easy. Um, so no. And yeah, I, uh, one year I walked that section when you first come off the towpath and one year I ran it just different feeling, different, different, different points. Um, and I may have run more the time that I walked later than the, the second time when I felt strong enough to run it. But you know, that's the thing. Um, ultra, I think, kind of teaches you is you have to learn that it's not, ego isn't going to win in ultra. It won't win. Um, you literally are walking in the first, you know, couple of miles in JFK, probably in all likelihood, or you might be burning too much energy. And, you know, unless you're maybe at the front of the pack and winning the race, or you're just really so strong on hills, you just rather get it over with, that's fine. But at some point, it's energy and rationing it. And reserve. So, you know, you were 63rd, 64th before you got in the towpath. And just think about how many people, you know, you picked off to get to 21st. It just shows you. And, you know, running a 313 marathon on the canal is very impressive. It'd be very impressive, just period. But, you know, after running the AT and then having eight and a half more to go, that's what makes it more impressive because it's not like you died after you ran the 313. You were still rolling the last eight and a half miles or you would never have got to your in, to your final position. Um, so super effort, man. Strong, strong effort. And yes, a huge difference being able to go into that uh, high school cafeteria and hang, which is part of JFK lore and, you know, have some hot soup and some sandwiches and 
you know, get all the selfies and, you know, hang out with other runners and everybody tell some tales of, you know, what their day and experience was like. And, you know, it just, uh, I just can't speak more highly of a race. It's just one of my favorites of all time. And, um, just love everybody down there. Love the team and, um, what a great experience. And it's super cool that you're part of, uh, Mike's team, Pink and, you know, CVAC, you know, Lori's been on my show. Um, she's an absolute beast. Um, you know, I've had quite a few runners, you know, on the show. Um, I don't know that they all run for CVAC. I think they all do, but I always get a little <laughs> mixed up, you know, I'm thinking about like Shelby. I'm like, does she run for you guys? I, like, I don't know, you know, who runs and who doesn't. Cause you know, obviously with club teams like up here, I'm Central Park Track Club, but there's, you know, 25 other clubs. So I'm not really sure who all, I just know Lori is. I know for sure she is. Yeah, Lori is, she's gone to uh, Boston the last two years when I've been there. Um, and and what's funny is, is you mentioned a couple of names earlier. So I'm on a 100-day uh, running club group on Facebook, and Brandy's in that group, and Libby's in that group, and they both uh, have reached out to me about JFK this year. Um, and then Shelby's in that group. So we've, we've done group runs with Shelby before and then gone and hung out and had beer with her and her husband. So small world, you know, um, I'd, I'd be a little remiss if I didn't mention though, that in, uh, 2020 and 2021, uh, the team that Mike put together for, uh, JFK 50, we've, we've won the team competition both years. So in 2020, we won, uh, it's kind of like scored by cross country. They take the best three times. I think we won by 25 seconds the first year uh, as as a team, and then last year we last year we won again. Uh, I was the first place guy on our team, and then Trent, who was right behind me, um, was second, and then um, we had two other guys on the team as well. So uh, that's that was the other thing I told Pink as soon as we got our our little medals. I said, "All right, we got to come back next year for the three peat." So uh, you know, we got to defend that as well. Absolutely, there's nothing better. Right. Um, and also on the first side, uh, the community, you know, I, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to in the run of the JFK 50 from listening to the <laughs> show. I'm just like, nope, you're running it. And I'm like, what? Really? Yep. You got to run it. I think you're perfect for the JFK 50. Get get down there and do it. And my friend Kate Powerty won the race uh, the year the snow was on the course. So she's a monster. And um, she beat uh, what's her name? Uh uh, Casey Likestag, who won Western States one year. So uh, close race, you know, competitive race, but man, conditions were super tough. I mean, you know, the AT is brutal enough, man, throwing right. snow on there. Like I probably would have just been like, I'm out of here, man. Uh, give me some hot chocolate, man. I, I don't think I could do this, man. Or just get me the hell off of the AT and, and let me roll. But uh, yeah, great recap. Those are some of my favorite people. And, you know, it's just such a great weekend hang um, just down there for the weekend. All the cool little hotels, they're all close together, lots of fun places to eat. And anywhere you go to eat down there, you're going to run into all the other JFK runners. So you're going to see everybody, wherever you are at any of those little hotels um, that are over by, one, which I'm, I always get mixed up, which one is the uh, the race hotel, because they're kind of all the same. They're right there off the, off the highway and off the road. But right. yeah, yeah, super good stuff. So we spent a lot of time on JFK, which is awesome because that's our favorite race to really talk about. But mm -hmm. you can give me a little bit on Boston because we have to, you know, get to some other stuff in the back end of the episode here. So, okay. which I know you have two Bostons, but you want to talk about which one? 2022, right? Yeah, 2022. I actually ran uh, in 2014 and 2019 as well. Okay. Um, but but they were uh, uh, far between, you know, and and so... Uh, again, I, I got the uh, the opportunity to 
uh, run again with pink in 2021. So the goal here was just to, to break three hours. And I was, I was able to do that by running 259.29. So just barely broke the three hour mark. Um, and then that was the one in October. And then I got the opportunity to go back in April, 2022. So, um, I, I just went back with, with knowing that I already broke three. So I was coming back to, uh, just try to better that. Uh, so I actually ran, uh, about a 74, 78 second negative split, uh, in, in that. So I ran uh, 129.15 for the first half. The goal was to get there under 130 and then just go as fast as I could after that. So, um, you know, I had, I had a lot of support there as well. My sister and brother-in-law came and, and my aunt and uncle came and, uh, and they brought the nieces down. They were at mile 23 for me with some pickle juice and some gum for me in case I needed it. And uh, Katie was helping uh, Pink and the crew at the finish line. So I knew she was there waiting for me. Um, so that was great. Uh, I'll, I'll just share real quick about that. When, uh, you know, I know the big thing there is to get to mile, mile what is it, 11, 12 with the Weaverton. Uh, I mean, the... Uh, the Wesley girls, the yes. college girls, you know? So, so I'm, I, I just, the, the joke is, is, uh, that my fiance is going to check my Strava splits to make sure I didn't stop there. So we just got to keep on flying through that part, you know, and then, uh, get to the half under, under that time. The one thirty was the goal there. Uh, and then, you know, I got to mile 16 and get to the Hills. Uh, I was able to survive the Hills this year, uh, way better than I did the very first two, two Boston's. I think, my first two Boston's, they said go, and I just took off down the hill, weaved in and out of everybody, and just blew my legs up. So, again, taking that experience, learning from it, um, you know, I knew what to do and get better there. But uh, once I once I crested Heartbreak Hill, we had, what is it, about five miles to go or so. Uh, those were my fastest five miles of the race, and I was able just to just to build on what I had done, and, and I just felt great. So I, I, I went with it, and um, – but Boston's just, it's an amazing experience. When I, when I first started running in 2010, and like I said, I went to that computer to sign up for Marine Corps and I had no idea what I was doing. I'd never even heard of the Boston Marathon before, you know, so then, then to learn what it is and you have to qualify and how special it is. Um, I'm, I'm just extremely thankful I had the opportunity to go back and, and, and run those two races in October and in April. Uh, I know when I finished the one in October, and I broke three for the first time. I told uh, I told Katie, who was there again with the with the CVAC group. I said, "Now I feel like I'm I've done something as a runner." That's how big of a deal it was for me to break the three hour mark there. Um, but but I do I, yeah I, I love the Boston Marathon and and I was just extremely thankful to have two good races October and April back to back there. Yeah, it's a it's a once in a lifetime experience when it is your first and you get there. Um, it's something you'll never, ever, ever forget. And to get to run two that close together, which we both did is really something. And again, it was the compare and contrast thing with not as many people and a rolling start. Um, and then the true feel of like what it's really like, um, when it's a larger field and the crowds are absolutely wild, which they were for the second of the two. And the energy is just, uh, it's so palpable and po really hard to, put into words if you haven't had the chance to actually be out there on the course and run it and to run it the right way um because so many runners have 
just blown apart out there and been blood and guts and just literally struggled to try to find their way home because despite 4,000 guides and articles written about, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that, people just do it anyway. Um, <laughs> they just do it. And then they're like, uh-oh, um, what am I going to do now? And I always just tell people, man, the race doesn't start till you get to the firehouse. When you make the right-hand turn, that's where the race starts. If you're not preparing yourself for the race to start there, like everything you've done there is like your warm-up run. When you make that right turn, you got to be ready to grind those hills. And if you get to the top at BC and you can bomb down into Cleveland Circle, and you got your legs underneath you, you said you ran your fastest five at the end. That's a perfectly executed Boston race. And the trick is, you're always going to question yourself after that. Like, well, maybe I should have gone a little harder. Maybe I should have went out a minute faster at the half, or maybe I should have started my push into the hills. That's the beauty of it. That's what makes Boston such a tough course to solve. It's not an easy course to solve. And it, it can be one where someone just nails it the first time, but many times people are chasing it in their whole career and they're either going too hard early or they don't have enough left to bring it home. So it's great that you're improving and getting faster and you're enjoying the experience and you're doing it with your, with your crew, you know, with CVAC and Katie and your, and your community and you're getting to experience it with them. So, so God bless, man. It's beautiful stuff. So I ask every runner where their drive, energy, spirit comes from. You obviously have it in spades to be able to crank out the CNO Canal 100 miler, multiple um, JFK 50s in 21st place for life. So <laughs> you, you can actually improve, but you can't go backwards. So, right. you know, and Pink will tell you that, man. You know, you can get, you get into the top 20 is okay, but anything less than that, you got to make sure your team's coming out on top and your first score or at least near the top. So where do you think your drive, energy, spirit comes from? I think a lot of it is just running for me now at this point is fun. It's exciting. Uh, it's different every day. Uh, you know, I can go out and run the same six mile loop, but it, it's different, right? Like you don't know what you're going to see. You don't know where, what's going to happen. You don't know how exactly your legs are going to respond. Um, so I, I, I love that part of it. I love the, I love the competitive side of it, whether it's, it's in a race and you're competing with other people, or if you're just competing against yourself, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, just, just getting better uh, from running, uh, you know, I could see my times going down through the work that I was putting in and just being able to do that. And uh, I like to, like I said, I like to win whether, whether it's a, it's first place overall or, or whether it's a personal best and, and, you know, you're doing that. What's, what's weird is, is like I, I mentioned earlier in my high school race, I think I was 20 or 21st. And I said, man, this is dumb. I'm never running again, but yet that's my place in the JFK 50 now. And I think that's the great, you know, would, would it be better if I was 15th? I don't know, you know, but I, I love being the 21st place guy for the last two years. So it's just crazy how different that mentality is now. Um, but I just want to be better than I was yesterday. Honestly, that's where, you know, my drive comes from is just, just kind of getting better each and every day. And hopefully, uh, encouraging or inspiring someone else to to be the best that they are and that they can be and and just get out there and do the work and uh, just give it that best effort they can every day. Love it. Um, the mantra for the show, my mantra for life is stay in the fight. Do you have a personal mantra or a couple or a specific mindset when you're out there racing that you're trying to employ? <laughs> well, uh, the uh, the joke around, among my, mon my running friends is that uh, I, my mantra would be, Run as fast as you can the entire race. It's just not 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 think as much as you as most people do. Just I tell them that's what I do. They shoot the gun and I just start to go. 
you know, but um, I, I think for me, I don't really have a specific mantra, um, but I use a lot of positive thinking. So if things start to get a little bit uh, like a, like a dark hole or, or if things start to go downwards and, you know, my legs aren't feeling it, I'll just think back to, all right, well, remember that race you did last year and it was twice the, twice as hard as this one, but you were in this space, headspace, and, you know, you were, you were doing well. So just a lot of positive thinking. Um, if I can't think positive, um, if I'm in a negative mindset, what I'll do is I'll just count to a hundred. I'll just do that over and over again. Um, just keep counting. So that way I can't think negative. So if I'm not able to think of something positive, I'll just count. That definitely works. Um, <laughs> Uh, whatever we can do to distract ourselves or just try to stay in a positive mindset keeps us moving is, is always good. Um, how about darkest hole you've ever dug out of and how? Well, I, th I, this is a tough one, I guess. Um, but I would have to say it was, it was probably at the very beginning of COVID. Um, and it might not be for the same reason that a lot of other people had a dark hole. You know, I was extremely lucky as far as like the illness part. I didn't know a lot of people that got, uh, COVID in a, in a, like a, a, a death way. Like I knew people that got it, but I didn't know a lot of people that passed away because of it. Um, but for me, it was a lot of personal stuff going on. Um, I ran a lot of races before COVID happened and then all that was just taken away. Uh, so I was kind of trying to find something to do there. I went from doing like 25, 35, 40 races a year to now there was no races at all. Um, so it was kind of something to do there. Uh, I just started going through a divorce actually right as COVID hit. So March, 2020. Um, uh, so in June I moved, uh, and then I had a lot of trouble with the, uh, like the custody issue, getting my kids to, to be able to come see me and the parenting time. And because courts were closed, uh, it was kind of hard to get in there and, and have everything settled. So that was, that was probably the darkest moment coming out of that. All that stuff happened at one time. Um, and I just relied on my support system. So, uh, at, at that time, uh, Katie was my friend at that time. And so I relied on her. I relied on the running community, uh, that I have on that Facebook page I talked about. Uh, and then I just turned into a lot of running. So I, I ran a lot during those first few months of COVID, you know, I wasn't allowed to go to school and teach. We taught on zoom and, um, you know, it's pretty, pretty easy to do that as far as, all right, well, class is over. I got an extra 40 minutes. I'm going to go run five miles, you know, and then come back and clear my head a little bit. So uh, I turned to running a lot during then as well. And that was one of the things that kind of, kind of helped me get through all those moments. Awesome. We need community, man, at, in every aspect of our lives, for sure. Um, how about uh, a coach athlete relationship that's had an impact? I mean, obviously I know Mike personally, as you do, you know, with CVAC, uh, anybody else that's had an impact or helped shape you on your running journey? I have a, 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 an old coworker, meaning I don't work with him anymore. Uh, so he, but he is older than I am. Uh, but James Landis. So he, he helped me out a lot as I was beginning that my second marathon, I mentioned him earlier. He came and paced me in that last 10 K of that second marathon. But he, um, he was the one that gave me a lot of tips on like, all right, you should wear this instead of that heavy Under Armour shirt you got on or, you know, and, and just kind of led me into some, some more races that were going on in that community right around where we're living. And, uh, just pointed me in the, in the, a good direction as far as some races I should get involved with or some runs I should get involved with. So I was very thankful for his guidance at the very beginning of my running career. Awesome. 
And I close out every episode asking about community service because it's important and we all need to get involved in our communities and try and do more. So what's, uh, what's something important to you that you're involved with? Last year at my elementary school, uh, being a, uh, a PE teacher there, I started a running club at the end of the year. So in May, we did uh, every Tuesday, Thursday, we stayed after school. I had about 35, 36 kids stay after, and we, we did running for that Tuesday, Thursday. And then the last Thursday of the month, the uh, parents came and we had a little cross-country race a uh, little mile course for the third through fifth graders. So that was great. You know, the parents got to come out and cheer them on and, and all the kids had a great time. We had awards for the kids at the end of it. So I really enjoyed that. So I'll do that again this September and this May. Uh, and then I also uh, just took over uh, last year, a race called fire on the mountain, 25 K and 50 K uh, as the race director. So I'm going to continue doing that. And then, um, with my fiance's help, we also started another race called the Lock to Lock. It's a marathon, half marathon, 10K on the CNO Canal in Williamsport, Maryland, right near the finish line of the JFK 50 miler. Um, so we're, do, we're doing that stuff. Uh, and and I, I love helping out and putting those races on. It's a lot of hard work, but uh, my drive there is just if no one put on races when I was starting to run, then I wouldn't be where I am today. So I'm just hoping, um, you know, I enjoy when people come out and they say it's their first time running a race. Uh, you know, that's the best that they come out and experience that. And, um, we get a lot of brand new trail runners at the, uh, fire on the mountain race, um, which is awesome. And I, you know, they come across the finish line and they just go, Oh, I hate you. You know, that was so hard. And then, you know, a minute or two later, they're your best friend and they're talking to you about all the experience they had. And that's like the greatest joy is just allowing them that opportunity to get out there and experience some of the things that I've experienced. That's a fantastic way to give back. Um, kudos on starting the the run club with such young kids, man, because we got to work on changing their habits and helping them to be more active and getting them involved because it is just a different time that we're growing up in. We things that we just automatically did and always did um, isn't as common today. And rules are so different with schools and obviously Zoom and COVID times just changed so much. So that's great that you're giving back there. And then on the race directing side, even more so, man, get, get them out there in the races. <laughs> is Did Yana like win your race or maybe break a course record? Because she wins pretty much like every trail race down there. And she's been on, I'm sure you guys have crossed paths as well. I've, I've, uh, run a couple of races with Yana, uh, and then, uh, actually did the Catoctin 50 K in uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, and I think she got seventh or eighth place and I was ninth. So she beat me by a couple of <laughs> minutes. So she is, she is a heck of a runner. That is for sure. She ran fire on the mountain. I think the first year that it, it took off, I think. So, uh, that wasn't when I was race director, but she's run that race before. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, we, I love our the mutual friends we have and share. And, and uh, here's to uh, more of us connecting and uh, getting involved with uh, more things in the community and spreading, spreading the running love, man. Well, it's been a blast having you on, Adam. I really enjoy talking to you and uh, learning about your running journey, man. You're just getting started, man. You're, uh, <laughs> you're kicking ass and you're doing some great stuff. And I know most importantly to me, I can feel the gratitude you have for the sport and the community. And uh, we need more people like that, man. So thanks for coming on and sharing. I'm sure it's going to inspire lots of people. And we tell everybody at the end of every show to keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door, and always remember to stay in the fight. Wow. Inspiring stuff from Adam Lowe. 
Think about how far he's traveled in his journey. Got his weight up to 215 pounds after being a really active, healthy kid in high school, spending every moment on a playground, playing sports, running around, basically running the day after his cast came off, to gaining weight, feeling unhealthy, not liking how he looked, not even knowing how to sign up for a race, feeding himself on pretzels and Cheez-Its before races because that's what was out on the table at Marine Corps. Um, remarkable. What a journey. Not knowing what to do, how to train, what to wear. And come full circle, you know, during COVID, he's out there running 70 miles and Andy Mason writes a great article about him, which catches Mike Spindler's eye. And Mike asking him to join the team, you know, just gave him a huge shot in the arm. And, uh, you know, just kind of taken off from there. And obviously in his personal life, connecting with Katie and the two of them, you know, finding happiness and a wonderful partnership, um, having her having her out there, crewing him at races and and partnering race director, partnering as race directors, working on, on those races together and co-raising their kids and their family has just uh, been, a, been a godsend for Adam. And it's uh, clearly had a huge impact on his life. So super inspiring stuff. Hope you're all moved by many points in this conversation and inspired. And maybe share it with somebody who is a little out of shape, maybe who hasn't been off the couch in a while and maybe um, needs a little gentle encouragement. Maybe hearing Adam's story about just how far he's traveled over this period of time would be just the right thing to get somebody active again and get them back out there. Um, so if you um, can continue doing what you all do so well, sharing episodes, tagging the guests, throw them up on Instagram stories, Facebook, Strava, or anywhere else that's going to find new listeners to what we're trying to do over here at Run Chats, which is just inspire people to get moving. And that's what Adam's story is all about, man. He certainly is living that life. And um, as we say at the end of every episode, keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door, and always remember to stay in the fight, peeps. Peace out. <laughs>